Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We are a program that is supported by Franklin Public Radio, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. How are you, Kim? I'm doing well, Mark. Good to talk to you again. Always good to talk to you and our listeners about all things wine. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Ann Reynolds from Napa Valley, California. How are you, Ann? I am well, Mark. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Kim and I have been uh, bugging Ann for a long time about a few things in the wine world. And we thought it's about time that our listeners would get to know her. So, Ann, can you please tell our listeners about your wine background and about your company. Sure, glad to. So I am a very specialized area in the winery world. I am a winery compliance consultant. So, um, and to kind of put that in a nutshell about how did I become such a unique professional? Well, I did grow up here in Napa. Napa is my hometown. I did not set out to get into the wine business, but the chances were fairly likely that I would end up working in it at some point, you know, if you will, in the form of a job. My schooling background is actually in education. So I've uh, attained a, a, a bachelor's degree and then uh, followed it up with a teaching credential. And it was a terrible time to try and find a full-time teaching job. So 30 years ago, this is my 30th anniversary, 1993, I found a job working at Behringer Vineyards in St. Helena as a harvest lab technician. And I just thought that was going to be a temporary thing And then I would go back to teaching. However, as you can see, it did not. The wine industry, it just, it's one of those stories where it just took off from there. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity kept presenting itself to me in different jobs and different wineries. And I was always up for the next thing. And so, like I said, that was 1993. By 1998, I am now working at Sterling Vineyards in Calistoga, California. At that point is where I started doing the compliance area. All wineries are required to be doing. And so, again, it was just the next opportunity. The winemaker says to me, hey, we just started with this database software to track our wines. Would you take on managing that software? And I said, sure, because it was just the next thing to learn. That was always what worked well for me. But like I said, that's compliance. So winers are required to be tracking the activities of their wine, what I call their wines lives. So you receive in a truckload of grapes, you crush those grapes into, you know, tank five, you add this kind of yeast and this kind of nutrient, et cetera, et cetera, to it. You ferment it. How many gallons after it finishes fermentation do you get from those grapes? What happens to it throughout the rest of its life? It goes into barrels and then gets blended and then goes in the bottle. All that stuff is supposed to be tracked and recorded. Uh, And then, as we'll talk about in a bit here, a lot of that information ties directly to what they can or can't put on the label for that wine. So that's what I was doing, which was thoroughly interesting to me because it was so much and a lot of stuff to keep track of. And I'm a naturally organized person. So 
I had the wonderful, wonderful experience of getting to work at wineries because that's the best way to learn this stuff. So I'll forever be grateful for that. But it also made me realize that there's no training in my area. Winery staff get little to no training in the stuff that I, it took me years to learn over the years working at wineries. So fast forward a few more years later, I started the business. I started my business uh, 14 years ago, Wine Compliance Alliance. And to work with many of my clients or existing wineries, I'm managing their reporting for them. But also a big chunk of my business is about providing training because I know a lot of people are out there where I was 30 years ago, feeling lost, feeling confused, having lots of questions. And there was really no, you know, there's no training out there. It's, it's fascinating to me. You know, people go become, go to our UC Davis or Fresno state couple here in California or Cal Poly and get a degree to become a winemaker or get a degree to grow uh, grapes or what have you, all these other areas, but there's still nothing. Nobody goes to a university and gets a degree in winery compliance. There is no such thing. But yet every single winery in the country is required to be doing it in various forms. So that's uh, that's kind of it, if you will, in a version of a nutshell. <laughs> I think it's very interesting to hear your side of what compliance is in the wine world. My husband also works in compliance, but in a, a different sector. So when I originally talked to Mark about we were going to have you on the show and I was like, oh, compliance, I know <laughs> what that is all about. <laughs> and then I went through your website and I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. This is different than I, what I was thinking. <laughs> um, but it really makes me think like, wow, there are so many different ways that people can get into the wine industry, first of all. It's like we all have these different paths. And yeah, it's not just all about going to school to learn to be a winemaker. But then also to think about, yes, it's a business as well. And to think of the, the, the very important kind of businessy side of things that needs to happen in order for a winery to be successful. So it was, yes. I think, kind of nice to sort of, you know, flip that narrative. And it's not just, you know, the romance of the grapes and, you know, <laughs> harvest time and stuff like that. But it's like, oh, yeah, there's paperwork. And so yeah, exactly. has to be able to know it. <laughs> there's all that uh, paperwork, if you will, behind that romance, because you're right. I will. I have often said that, that all that romantic language, so to speak, that you see in the advertising or maybe you read on a wine label or people such as winemakers love to spout about when we uh, harvested these grapes and where and et cetera, et cetera. Here's how we made it, all this kind of stuff. But where does all that come from? It comes from their records. So that's what I will often say. That's all that stuff. It's all compliance. And is mostly what you do kind of more internal where it's, it, I know you mentioned wine labels and we'll talk about wine labels in a few minutes, but is there like governmental things outside of the, the wine label specifications that you have to like submit information that it's important to keep track of appropriately at the winery, like that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. In, well, what I will call my world of, of winery compliance, the lion's share of it will be federal. So that's the branch that used to be the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, or BATF. They've now been for quite a while now that a different acronym, the TTB, Alcohol 
and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. So lion's share of it is them. They're the ones who are acquiring lion's share of the records that wineries are required to be maintaining, which then directly relate to how they fill in certain reports. And then, like I mentioned earlier, directly relate to what they can or can't put on a wine label. Most of it, that's federal. However, like here in California, any California winery has a license with our California Alcoholic Beverage Control Department. They have a license with, of course, our tax office folks. And then um, many of them are going to have a license with yet another California agency, our California Department of food and agriculture. Uh, the record keeping for those those that second group of three California agencies is going to be a lot less than the federal. Line share, like I said, is, is federal. And a lot of times, a lot of the um, numbers that those California agencies are asking for will come directly from a lot of the federal reports that a winery is keeping. Feels like it goes to the federal government and then back to the state government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Often yeah. you're right. Exactly. The yeah. state, like the state form, will say, "Here, tell us this number for your, you know, previous year," and then they'll reference in the instructions comes from, you know, and they'll give the federal form number. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, when did compliance really kick in, and is it all really just related to taxes? Is most of it tracking how much you're making, tracking your alcohol and all? Is it all really so tax can be taken from it? Um, A good amount is related to, um, so uh, winers are required to file, pay excise tax at the federal level, that's the TTB, and then they're also required to pay it at their state level. And then related to that federal level, winery that's making say 5,000 cases of wine a year, but how much are they actually, because their excise taxes depend on how much they are actually selling, if you will, because that's really truly when a winery has to uh, owe excise taxes uh, at the federal or state level. So you're right. A huge part of it is about excise tax, um, how they are maintaining their records, meaning like details in their records, how they are then filing the reports. That's a real common area that you would probably wouldn't be surprised gets audited frequently is around, say, a winery that's been in business for, I don't know, whatever, say 10 years, for example, and they've never filed a report or something, that could be a red flag to that federal agency to audit them because there is actually public information on that TTB's website about when they have audits and they will literally name the winery, for example, or the brewery or whoever it was and say, due to what was the reason for the audit issues, you know, due to lack of tax payment. So they are keeping an eye on things. They do obviously have auditing authority. And you're right. The most common issue that we see on those is due to lack of report filings. And certainly that potentially means the excise tax report. Because you're right. That's a chunk of the big chunk of their revenues, right, is, is excise taxes. So it sounds like the TTB state and federal IRF, they, they can have a lot of people really come down on them if they don't really do this compliance properly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, I, I like to, you're right. I mean, I don't necessarily like to think of, of the, what is the phrasing that, you know, I don't want to motivate people with a stick. I want to motivate them with a carrot kind of thing. Yeah. But you're right. The stick can be that, yeah, that you don't want a TTB audit, do you? 
I could see how wineries would just be, you know, let's start a winery and I want to make wine, but they don't know what you're teaching. And they must be pretty amazed when they hear what they need to do and yeah. all this work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've definitely seen uh, plenty of long time winery folk here in just, you know, my own backyard, Napa, Napa County, Napa Valley, you know, are unaware. I mean, for example, even if just some label items, maybe they've had a winery for decades and they're a big name Mm -hmm. in the winery world. And then I will, I whatever, because I had the experience working at wineries where I would come in, say, like newer in my working for them or something. And I would point out something on their label. Oh, you can't put that on there because this and that and the wine doesn't qualify for it. And they would say, oh, we never knew that's what that meant. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think you're right. I, I mean, I know that that is extremely common. There's not that many. And again, I'm not certainly very always want to clarify i'm never faulting wineries i'm never faulting them because you're right you put in an application to become a winery you get that application approved now you can start making wine and all this but nobody says i mean they might say in like a sentence or two an approval letter hey you're supposed to be keeping these certain records and by in the spout some code of federal regulation numbers no that's it that's all they get in the heads up by the way you're supposed to be doing these things and that's like that's it So, like I said, I never fault wineries, but I do. I've spoken to so many people over the years who say, yeah, I feel like I know just enough to be dangerous, you know, (laughs) but I'm always leery that I'm not doing it right. I'm always leery. One of those instances of not knowing what you don't know. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I just saw you wrote a blog about direct shipping compliance. (laughs) Now, this is another thing that's come up. There's issues where now... The wineries have to be compliant when they ship to every state, and every state's compliance is different, correct? Yeah, it's a zoo. (laughs) You're right. You've got 50 different sets of regulations. They have to know where they can ship, where they can't. How much. How much they have to pay each state every year for a permit. Do you deal with that kind of compliance stuff, too? I can't stand that area. So yeah, I was gonna clarify. It's good to my, be open about it. There's like these two <laughs> two main parts to if you say winery compliance, what I call wine production compliance, which is my area, which is kind of a little blurb that I described before. Uh, and then you've got that whole wine shipping area, which I like I said, I can't stand. I don't go anywhere near because I can't stand it. <laughs> wow. We all so you're right. don't like about our jobs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because to me, my area is interesting. It's the stories of wine's lives and all the numbers and the blends and, you know, Mm. whatever, where the grapes were grown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all those stories. But shipping is just this zoo and it's just, you know, insane. And it's, to me, it's just really dry and and tedious. But yeah, it's uh, tends to be the hotter topic, not surprisingly in the wine world, because obviously that's where the sales are happening, mm-hmm. right? So what about within the state, Anne? There's the California just passed the, the wine bottle deposit. Is that going to be another level of compliance for state filings that they're going to have to be on top of? 
that you're going to um, take yeah, care I'm of? I'm going to actually, yeah, I haven't seen the, like the nitty gritty of what, if that will even come into like, say my, what I'm going to call my world. Cause you're right. I've seen the d- different headlines about it and just have kind of skimmed them a bit. I mean, I know it potentially will be something that will go on a wine label, for example, but some of that stuff, I could tell you the TTB, which is, you know, what I would care about. They don't care about. They don't care about stuff like that, if you will, in their regulation part. They don't. It. They don't care that California gets its ten cents a bottle. Exactly. Ball. The feds. The feds. They yeah. don't. Yeah, because that's they're the feds, right? We yeah. don't care about what California says. That's they regulate that. We regulate our thing. It's just so interesting. All the stuff these wineries have to do, and yes, all that you you. So I can see where your experience and and knowledge in dealing with it all, how you can really start your business, how you did to uh, get people to to uh, go. I I've been bugging you a lot about. I noticed you had some starting to host classes, and people can find out a lot of that information when you do them on your website, WineComplianceAlliance.com, and see more of Ann's story there, but such an interesting background thing that wineries have to know. Yeah, exactly. And along the lines of, like I was uh, pointing out, that there's still hardly anything in the way of formal training for winery staff. There's still not that many offices like mine. If you just were to Google wine compliance, I mean, I, I know for sure my business is going to yeah, come up you. on page one. Right. Uh, but uh, like I said, I've been a business 14 years now. And I, that's exactly what I do. Every now and then I go and I Google wine compliance and maybe, maybe I see a new name. Oh, hey, there's another new office. But yeah, there's a definite, definite need for, well, both. For sure, the training for staff who are out there at wineries who need it, which is a real range of people. It could be a winemaker. It could be an office staff person. It could be a controller kind of across the map who it might be at a winery. And then the tents, however, it pans out for more compliance offices to open up because I, I just know that there uh, is still a huge demand for the services. So for sure, if anybody listening has ever wondered about getting into the world of winery compliance, I mean, I would encourage that. I mean, one of the ways that I have all recommended to people over the years, if, if it works out for them, I feel like probably this is heavily based on my own experience. So my own bias uh, from a positive experience but you know getting starting um a working at a winery during harvest a busy harvest time is, it's so much fun but then you're getting all that exposure to that beginning stage of wine life which yes yes is romantic <laughs> but you can start to see you're starting to get a you know an exposure potentially to like i said that wine life story and you know whatever say in contact with an office like mine they can start to go oh then you're supposed to be tracking this and so they could potentially not only have what is a very unique experience i think working at a winery during harvest but they're starting to dip their toe in the water to start to feel like well maybe this is an interesting thing that i might want to pursue further and that there are a number of different things you can do while still working either at a winery or in the wine world, it doesn't all have to be winemaking. Exactly. Yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. We are supported by Franklin Public Radio, WFPR. 
And you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Today, we have a special guest with us, Anne Reynolds, and you can find more information about her at winecompliancealliance.com, more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com, and more about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. So we're speaking to Anne Reynolds today from Napa, California, and she is a compliance expert in the wine world. And we've been talking a little bit about how she got where she is, how she started her company, kind of the various ways to get into the wine industry. And you you mentioned something sort of fascinating and kind of plays into a lot of the things that we always talk about in, in our uh, podcast. And that is that one of the interesting things for people with wine is the stories behind wines. And that this is one of the things that really appeals to people about wine is, you know, what's the story behind it? And sometimes we think about the record keeping behind wine as not that exciting. But for <laughs> you, that record keeping also holds that story of the wine. I just think that it's such a kind of a beautiful other way of looking at it. You know, it's not just who are the people behind it, but also the lifespan of that bottle of wine. How did it start? Where is it getting to where it's going? And that is still, an, I think, an appealing story for a lot of people. And another big part of that is wine labels, which you do a lot of work with as well, correct? That's correct. Yes, very definitely. Com winery compliance means being directly involved in well, the what is called the design of a wine label, and then the other side of it. Basically, all alcoholic beverages that are sold, you know, going out into being sold in commerce in the United States are required to go through a process that is called label approval. And that once again is with that federal branch, the TTB. So in the process of say, you know, you're at a winery and you're coming up planning to be bottling a wine, that label gets designed for that wine. Still most commonly when you think of a bottle of wine, it's got what we call a front label and a back label, two separate labels on the on each bottle. And so you have to the whatever the winemakers, the owners, the marketing department, who knows? There could be a real gaggle of people who are involved in the design of what goes on the label. But then somebody like myself that with that compliance perspective needs to be involved in that because there are certain items that have to be on every single wine label. And then there's certain items that potentially items that if you will perhaps cannot be on there. You have to have that person on staff or however it comes into the mix who brings in that compliance perspective. I say we often have to be the party poopers uh, because we have to, and I'll just give an example of that because say a, a winery is putting together a label and I'm just going to go with a, you know, a common one. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon and it's, and they want to be able to put on the label, you know, such and such a brand Cabernet Sauvignon Napa Valley. Now, which is um, segueing into my book, The Inside Story of a Wine Label, to list those two items I just stated. Cabernet Sauvignon is a wine grape varietal. Napa Valley is what is known as an American Viticultural Area, or AVA. If you put those on a wine label, the blend itself of those items must meet a minimum percentage requirement. So for a varietal, just to throw out those numbers at you, if I wanted to put that Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon on the front of my wine, 
the wine blend itself would have to be at least 75% Cabernet Sauvignon grapes, right? And then for the second guy, the AVA, Napa Valley, the wine blend would have had to have come from at least 85% of the grapes that became that wine would have had to have been sourced from within the boundaries of the Napa Valley AVA. So that's where, again, that compliance person who would know the wines blend would be looking at those percentage numbers and perhaps saying, yes, it does qualify to list Cabernet Sauvignon and Napa Valley. Or like I said, perhaps a lot of times we get to be the party pooper and say, sorry, this wine blend isn't at least 85% or 75% or whatever item we're talking about. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot going on around, well, just that part of the process, the design and approval of wine label, which is what that book is all about. I was really inspired to write that book about 10 years ago now already, mainly because I would read articles or blog posts or whatever that would be talking about wine label items. And what I would see again and again is either they were partially correct in their description of that percentage or explanation of an item, or they were basically wrong. And it would just really annoy me. <laughs> and, uh, and I just realized it took somebody like myself who'd been there doing the work at wineries, studying wine blends and being involved in the wine label design and approval process to really write the book on the stuff. So that's Sounds really like that would be very valuable from. to some of our students who get those questions on their exams. Yes. You know, the percentages yes. in what state and in what grape variety. And yes, exactly. All it could of that. be the perfect study tool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. And for our listeners, you can get Ann's book on Amazon. It's the inside story of a wine label. Our listeners also know that and I'm a huge wine label geek. I've been bugging in. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna bring this up. <laughs> yeah, since I got your book, probably. I'm like, do you know Mark yeah. loves wine labels? <laughs> it's it's all about like you're saying, and you see stuff on the internet, and you're like, I don't think that's true. I'm gonna go to Ann's book, or I'm gonna <laughs> research. And you put actual numbers, which for years being in the industry, you never knew that there's actual percentages, actual numbers that go to these statements. And you put it in this book and you break the label down. And it led to Kim and I do, having these ideas of uh, wine classes where people, hey, this is what's on the label. This can help you become a better wine shopper, a better yes. wine educator. And I just recently had a class and Anne commented on my post because I wrote, <laughs> I named my class The Truth and Lies of Wine Labels. And Anne immediately said, what's the lies, right? <laughs> And that's the way I kind of draw people in say, hey, look at the label. What I mean by lies is like if you shopping for wine, you say, I want a Cabernet and you know your profile and you say, I want a Cabernet that's 100% Cabernet and the person selling you the wine doesn't know like the facts of the wine. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the way you really test people. Mm -hmm. But thank you for the book, Ann. And I actually have it in my bag every day. It's all wrecked <laughs> now. I always go to it. And I think the one thing, and I talk to Kim about this all the time in our listeners, the one thing that always confuses me, and I think I finally understood it, is the name and address statement mm. on, on oh, the label. Yeah. Because I always would tell people, Google that. Do a Google map search of that and see if it's an actual winery or actual location 
you can kind of tell something about the wine. Do you think that is a truth to to tell people? Yeah, I mean, that's a great example of like a, uh, if you will, behind the scenes research. You're right. You pick up a bottle of wine and and generally it's on the back, right? It'll say something like, say, produce and bottle by ABC Winery, Sonoma, California, for example. And you're right. If they go Google ABC Winery, and do they find an actual, actual one, you know, like a website that actually shows here's our winery? Because you're right, a lot of the businesses might be what we call a custom crush client. So a custom crush client doesn't own a winery. They contract with a winery to make and bottle their wine and then they go sell it. But they still might have a business, I'm sorry, a website, right? But if you go to their website, they're not going to be showing you pictures of a winery saying, here's our winery, because they don't own a winery. They have a wine business, but they're not the winery type of wine business. Yeah. And it's not a quality thing either. To me, it's like, okay, I just want to know, like when you talk compliance and you're saying you have to track, here's all the tracking. I want to know, I want to track that bottle. And that's how I kind of use it. And then I recently was opened up to that a little more where I actually meet winemakers and they tell me it'll say vinted and bottled. It won't say produced and bottled by them. I'll say, why is it not produced and bottled by you? And they'll say, well, I get the grapes from this person, but I grow the grapes myself here. So I don't have my own crush. So now that story is an understanding of why it says what it says on the label. But yeah. you, really, you really have to dive into it. And years ago, I was like, well, it says sell it by or vinted by. I'm kind of turned off by it. But now I have more of an understanding. And it's all thanks to bugging you all these years about your yeah. <laughs> So thank you for that. Exactly. Yeah, because it does. It's just like my thing that I've observed many, many times over the years is being at the basically here for sure. It's the, gro- it's the grocery store because we have wine aisles plural in most of our grocery stores, right? Right. So you'll see somebody there and they're just standing there just kind of almost with a glazed over look on their face because they're just staring at this wall of wines. The deer in the headlights on the wine wall. how, How do I begin to know? And so that was the other thought that came was this book is, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, is to potentially to, if you will, empower people to just have a more interactive experience with shopping for wine. It it can be so overwhelming. Strongly feel that it doesn't have to be. Is it checked though, Anne? Once it's submitted and approved, is it checked again that there's really 75% or more Cabernet or it's really from, is that going back to the compliance if they want to check? Yeah, I mean, that exactly. That's the, that's the perfect question. Because you're right, when that label approval process, you're right, they're only looking to see, does it have these required items in the required location? They are not checking the blend. They are, there's not, that's not involved in that label approval process. When a wine does get checked, is it does it meet the minimum percentage requirements that you listed on the label is when a winery gets audited. Is that why there's always discrepancies between what's on the label and what's on the tech sheet? Yeah. Does yeah. any of that ever match the compliance sheet? <laughs> You know what I mean? Are they, are yeah, well, that I mean, I think I think it would be safe to say it's uh, still probably uh, extremely common, a decent amount of wines that are out there that that don't meet the minimum percentage requirements for what they listed, in large part because nobody was aware of what those were. You know, right. that whole lack of training thing. That should be your next book. 
too. Tech, tech sheets because yeah. Kim and yeah. I talk about that all the time. Love to tech use, sheets. Yeah, the labels and the tech sheets help you become a way better. Yeah, if you had those side by side, yes, because they should happen be happening side by side. They aren't always, but um, but they should be because they are direct. One's directly connected to the other. One one actually the blend is what's driving the label, right? Right. Yeah. So what's your thoughts, Anne? There's a, there's a lot out there in the wine world, and Kim and I have talked the subject a few times, that people are pushing for nutrition uh, <laughs> values on labels. Do you think this is something that will happen and something that's going to be a client's nightmare, or label nightmare? Are you going to see both sides in your position? Yeah. So first answer, uh, yes, it will happen. That's been my impression. I've seen the the the, the announcements from the, the feds, the TTB. Yes, it will happen. Um, I have not seen black and white, and I don't think they've landed on it either yet. What will that look like? Will that mean you're going to have to put that additional, you know, take up another chunk of valuable space on a label, right? To put the nu- nutrition label in or whatever that format is. Or because of the other one I've seen as perhaps option B is a QR code. Yeah, I like that. That would get my thumbs up because I don't, maybe it's just whatever the time period that I've been in the wine industry, but I don't, And I, well, that, and then I also don't really totally agree with a lot of it because as you're probably familiar, a lot of the items that go into wine, if you will, are not in the finished product. Don't you think yeah, that's why the big companies- all the time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the confusion so of, of yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it, it's good for the consumer to know what they are putting in their bodies. But then on the other hand, there's so much complexity with wine production that mm-hmm. if you're talking about finding and filtering, those things are no longer in the wine. So it's yeah. more. Yeah, it's. Yep. Yeah, it's not apples to apples with food. It's not. Don't you think the big companies will want the QR code versus? Yeah, I would say the lion's share of wine businesses would want the QR code. Yeah. (laughs) And you're right, especially the big boys who are putting in perhaps some more questionable products. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot too. Yeah. (laughs) You had another blog, I just want to hit real brief that... You had a statement produced by fermentation. Is that a new address bottling statement that's out there? What was that in regards to? Well, so that statement produced by fermentation is literally the title of a line on the federal report that every single winery in the country is required to file. And when a winery puts gallons on that line, that means they're saying, we just completed fermentation of this many gallons, whatever. We received in so many grapes, they became produced by fermentation this many gallons. That's a very, I talk a lot about that line of that report because like we're just talking about, or we were talking about earlier, if you pick up a bottle of wine and it says produced and bottled by such and such, that word produced, minimum 75% of the wine in that bottle must have been fermented at that winery that bottled it, meaning they produced it by fermentation. So does that mean wineries that are actually fermenting their own wine are doing more paperwork and possibly paying something more than if someone who sourced fermented juice? Well, no, because when the, the paying part, the excise tax really is just tied directly to, yeah, I'm trying to 
think of a way to kind of simplify it. But um, the, the amount of gallons, I guess I should say, the amount of gallons that a, any given winery list as produced by fermentation may not, there may or may not be a direct correlation to that they're going to pay taxes on that same amount. Just depends. Do they later bottle all that, all those gallons? Yeah, then potentially they're going to pay taxes on that amount. But maybe they don't. Maybe they sell off some of those gallons or things like this. So it isn't necessarily a direct line. Do they have to, to track that too? And yep. if, they, if, you, if you're selling juice, if I sell wine to Kim, you have to say how many gallons Kim got from me and then she has to report that She as received well. the same gallons, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you have wow. to create a document that goes along with that truckload of wine that breaks down the percentages of it by wow. vintage varietal and appellation, excuse me, because then that means that she knows what she can qualify to put on his label. It sounds to me just to like a non-business ear that it's like, oh, by fermentation, does that mean that the rest of it is distilled? Like, you know, sort of one of those <laughs> questions is like, well, duh, of course, by fermentation, like you're making wine. Yeah, I you're don't know. making it's just, wine. It's such an interesting way to phrase it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, I, I will forever be grateful. That's where I learned it. I, I got, I was working at wineries, getting to inhale the wonderful aromas of fermentation and getting sticky and stained and things mm -hmm. like this while I was learning it. So, I mean, I, it, I get it. I can talk to any winery in the country about what they're doing and go, ah, okay. That's what that means for your reports, for your taxes, right. for your labels because of that. Yeah, so because of, it. it was, it fit my nature too, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much backstory to it that people probably never knew all the all no the paperwork. Yeah. So I, I would, I mean, if I was making wine, I'd, I'd say, Ann, come in and just please do this for me or take it over, please. <laughs> so you're almost like the, the tax person, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're like I mean, the accountant for wineries. Accountant, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, that we, we joke we joked about it over the years, you know, that we should like get a recording of talking to various people across the wine biz, you know, but whatever, talk to the stuff they like to talk about. And then at a certain point in the conversation, so, oh, and you know, what do you, what, what comes to mind when I say to you the word compliance, you know, because everybody makes a face, they roll it, their eyes or they grimace or they like, make oh, an that unhappy again. face. But compliance, you know, it's like, no, this is, you know what you're doing and it's all these numbers and all these details that, you know, winemakers and marketers love to talk about. And Where it's so important that... because if you get it wrong, then you can be in some serious trouble. So it really does make sense to yeah. have somebody who is smart about it and knows what they're talking about, like yourself. Exactly. Yes. With... Who can, you know, make it not be a drudge. With all the label submissions now the TTP's going through, do you think they just use an AI to <laughs> view them now? Like, does yeah, someone physically look really looking at that? Yeah, that's hysterical because that is <laughs> that is the hair pulling <laughs> scenario that is federal TTB label approval. It is. It comes down to I don't know. I don't know how many people they have back there. It's in Washington D.C. I do know that. That's where label approvals happen. I just pictured this sea of cubicles. But you're right. When I say the hair pulling experience, because, you know, I as a winery, maybe I've been bottling a wine for 10 years. And, you know, so it's, it's, there's like only, I changed the vintage on the wine and 
you know, like nothing else. And then I said, I make one whatever little change to the label and I submit it for label approval 10 years later and the person rejects it. And you'll say, well, what? You guys approved it right. for the past 10 years. And mm -hmm. the person will say, we don't care. <laughs> you can't, we're not going to do it wrong it. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's because it comes down to literally what person in cubicle A might reject your label, but person in cubicle B might approve it. And it's the same label because uh -huh. you've got that human factor. So you're right. Until we can give it to a computer, whatever, non-human technology, the wine industry is still going to be frustrated by that process, label approval, where the same label gets rejected. How long does it usually take? For They're very, to... very quick. It's like, uh, it's like less than a week. They're very good. And I saw some stat where between beer, liquor, and wine, wine is actually the least amount of labels they review. Is that true? The most. It's the most. And, but yet we are on the flip side of that. I believe it's correct. We're the small, I, well, I don't know if we're the smallest in volume of both beer and spirits, but you know, gallon amount wise, we're, we're the smaller of at least one of those but the most label approved but the most label wow. submissions yeah well you think about it how many wine brands are there and it's yeah. insane i was thinking beer because every day a new yeah, craft I was beer too i feel yeah. like there's always new stuff coming out they turn them over so fast yeah there's just there's an insane amount i mean like people contact my office because they want to get started with a new wine business and so we have our conversation and such. And at one point I do ask them, do you know who, you know, who are your people? Who's going to buy your wine? What's your thing? What's your story? Who's your people? Because I know that there's so much product out there. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, ho I'm hoping they've given some thought because that's yeah. the hardest thing. Who's right? your market? Yeah. Is there a site you can go to see like top five wine corporations the biggest how much oh percent? yeah yeah wine i want to say is it wine business monthly oh they put out reports tracks that, that and then yeah, every year right. in january of every year they put that out wow so I, yeah I, it's it's of course it's you know of course number one because they're in they're in a, their own galaxy gallo it's right. like put them over here they're in their own galaxy and then you've got uh well Kendall Jackson is still up there, Constellation, who you know bought Robert Mondavi and Franciscan and many others. I would uh, assume, like Kim was saying, you want to know your market. So they might before they even create the wine, they probably create the label to see yes. if they get yeah. passed and then say, Well, let's make a wine that goes with that label now. And you're right. You know? You're right. They have a completely almost like the opposite of a business model from your, if you will, old school winemaker approach. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I heard a comment in one of your earlier podcasts about, yeah, you you can't any given amount of shelf space in the store. A lot of it is taken up by the big guys. Right. Mm -hmm. But because they have whatever, 20 different brands. And how is a customer to know that? Yeah. That's, how are they to know that yeah. that label that they're looking at is actually just one product from this giant winery and it's not our giant wine company and it's not exactly. like this tiny little winery and oh there's a story behind it and we have goats and you know like that kind of yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah they, they, they buy Ann's book that's how we know that's right. Right? yeah and, exactly and you exactly. get to know you get to know modesto california yeah that's right, right. yeah <laughs> exactly because you're yeah. right that's who gets the that's who gets the uh shelf space 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Great. Well, Anne, thank you very much. This is, you yes, know, thank I, you. listeners could probably tell I'm like super excited to uh, <laughs> pick your brain. And I'll, you, I'll make get... a, you make a, a fairly dry topic sound very exciting. Like we oh, can no hear that you really uh-huh. love what you do. And I, I think that we do that all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, we get so excited about it. And you're like, yeah, I'm so excited about compliance. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. And you're right. Yes. And I, I mean, I'm, I think you're right, but it's, it's so it's great. It's, this has just been a wonderful opportunity to, if you all spread the word um, of this, un, I call it the unglamorous part of winemaking, but, but, you know, yeah, there's just so much to it, but so necessary. Exactly. So necessary. And it's, I mean, it's good information. Yeah. I think it's good. I, it excites me. So <sighs> Oh, and yeah. gives, I love it, your wine labels, Mark. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> oh, you know, just the whole, all of it just gives us so much content to talk about and to educate people about and uh, draw people's attention like I did draw on yours when I said there's a lot of lies on the label. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you're right. I, I'm the same way still at the store when I'm shopping for wine. I am, I'm amused. I'm always looking at labels and I'm entertained by them just standing there in the store aisle. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, with special guest Anne Reynolds from WineCompliancealliance.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And please check out Anne's book, The Inside Story of a Wine Label, which can be found on Amazon. Cheers. Cheers. Wine, wine.